0: So happy to have you back today. We are going to talk about one of my, I say top 10 favorite business books of all time. It's called how to get rich and it's written by the legendary and now sadly deceased mega wealthy publisher and polymath Felix Dennis. This book is incredibly direct. It is funny and his approach is ruthless. It is interesting. He talks about strategies, tactics. There's tons of anecdotes and we're going to dive in them today. And although some of the stories and even strategies can be difficult to relate to if you're just starting out, for Dennis, the path to wealth starts in your own mind. At one point, he writes, quote, If you are unwilling to fail, sometimes publicly, even catastrophically, you stand very little chance of getting rich. If you care about what your neighbors think, you will never get rich. If you cannot bear the thought of causing worry to your family, spouse, or lover while you plow a lonely, dangerous road rather than taking the safe option of a regular job, you will never get rich. What do you say we do this thing? It's a great book. It's another re As always, I've invited a fellow traveler to join me on this rereadable journey.
1: My name is Cora Woodbass. I'm the founder of The FBA Broker. We help founders of consumer product brands, mostly e-commerce businesses, prepare for and sell their businesses. The reason we're different is we are sell-side advisors. Internally, we refer to it as sell-side for life. We actually help our clients <laughs> achieve the best outcome. We don't work both sides of the market. So kind of relevant in some ways to this book.
0: Well, especially because your job is to help people get rich.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. right? Like,
0: I mean, people spend years and years building a business they one day hope they can exit, and your job is basically to help them you know, get the best outcome they can achieve or work with them in that project. Absolutely. We're here to talk about Felix Dennis. So the concept of the rereadables, Corin, we read, in your case, for the first time. In my case, this is my third reading of this book. We read a book that has, in some important way, stood the test of time. And we review the book for the audience, so they don't have to go back and necessarily read it themselves. And we'll review the book by going over a, a variety of categories, including half-assed internet research, an overview of the key concepts, the best quotes, what aged the best, what's aged the worst, and also we'll go over some of our nitpicks with the book. You ready to jump into it?
1: Yeah, let's do it. How to Get Rich
0: was published in 2009 and currently enjoys a 4.5 rating on Amazon and a 4.8 two rating on the much more reputable community at goodreads although they're both owned by amazon let's just be honest both uh, communities are on amazon's platform also interestingly for a book with a gaudy gold title it was pretty well reviewed by like sort of mainstream publications at the time and i'm just going to quote from the book description here felix dennis is an expert at proving people wrong starting as a college dropout with no family money put a little asterisk next to that one. He created a publishing empire, founded Maxim Magazine, made himself one of the richest people in the UK, and had a blast in the process. This particular book came from a dinner conversation with friends where he was challenged to answer the question, how might one get rich? And the concept is, well, wouldn't it be cool if somebody who didn't need to write a book about getting rich actually sat down and did it? That's the overview. The first category is what was your first impression upon reading the book?
1: It does what it says on the tin. (laughs) It really does talk about how to get rich and doesn't pull punches on it. I was pleasantly surprised with what I read. It's very much a step-by-step playbook, basically, on how to get rich. In one rich guy's opinion, that is.
0: Yeah, the first impression for me is like, this is a fun read. Like, our last re-readables episode, The Sovereign Individual. I felt guilty in the end asking my co host for that one, Greg, to wade through the deep emotional waters to read about ancient Mayan civilization and World War II and all this crazy stuff. But this, man, I don't feel guilty about asking entrepreneurs to read How to Get Rich. It's funny, it's irreverent, it is motivating. Speaking of which, our next category is uh, reflections on the title. Does it meet the content of the book?
1: It does, but I kind of hate it. (laughs) I was on a plane recently and I was reading the book and someone sat down next to me and I I noticed self-consciously I flipped the book over. You mentioned before it's kind of gaudy, but I also don't really know how else he could have done this because that was the main question at the dinner, like you said. So it's kind of cringeworthy, but it really is what it says on the tin Unlike other books that I've read like this that promise a lot and just lack in the delivery, this is written by someone who's actually done it. So, yeah, that's, that's my take.
0: Although the book does have a lot of business nuance in it, from like uh, a presentation level, like the gaudiness doesn't stop there it's present that sort of in your face bold humor is the really the charm of the book it's like yeah like we're sitting around we're drinking a couple of bottles of wine with uncle felix and he's going to tell us how to get rich we're going to laugh and it's going to be fun and you know something more like subtle or classy i don't you know i think it kind of fits this is what we're going to be about you know during this this uh, this episode and this book Well, corn before we jump into some of the next categories I want to just do a uh, too-long-didn't-read overview of some of the key concepts in the book. Basically, this book is like a call to arms and a personal challenge, saying getting rich is a huge sacrifice, and quit your fantasies that you're actually going to go out and do this. You're not going to do this. Getting rich is super hard, and almost nobody is going to do it. In order to do it, you got to cut loose from negative influences in your life, get rid of your fear of failure. He focuses a lot on the concept of ownership. It's about owning valuable companies, hiring the best people, incentivizing them to work for it, and sacrificing basically everything else in your life in order to do this incredibly difficult task.
1: Yeah, also, the way to really unlock wealth, and he did this multiple times, is actually selling the assets. So building valuable assets and then selling them at a premium, which he did everything from I think it was six or seven million the first exit. There was a 250 million exit of the US maxim and also part of the public company they founded that also was bought by a private equity firm. So as good as cash flow is, those exits really helped pad that that net worth, I'm sure. Now that we've got the
0: basic overview out of the way, let's jump back into the categories, Corin. This is one of my favorite questions. It's what does the book whisper to you? It's a core concept that you walk away with that the book doesn't say necessarily explicitly. And my favorite example of this is, you know, the four-hour Work Week doesn't say quit your job and travel the world necessarily, but that's basically what everybody walks with.
1: (laughs) If I think about what I was thinking after I shut the book from reading the first time through, I actually had a bit of a... It gave me pause, actually personally i i view business as a game and i want to get i want to go as big as i can that's my game plan after reading this book i actually wondered if it's worth it to do it at that level which was quickly replaced with yeah i still want to do it but i may not follow it. <laughs> <laughs> i may not follow this to the letter of the law so yeah that that was my takeaway what was yours
0: It's a little bit of a come to Jesus moment too, which is like, look, nobody is going to make the most difficult wealth building decisions for you. And if you let them, they're not going to be good for you. I just kind of wrote down like, hire somebody, fire somebody, cut a quality business deal, get on an airplane and make your stated financial goals happen. It's a pep up talk hey, there's a lot of hard things that you, you're probably putting off right now that are a critical component of your wealth journey. And so go make those hard decisions. That's what it is. Go make the hard decisions. And a lot of the anecdotes in the book, the key deals, the key competitive maneuvers, the key negotiations, he was making decisions that other people weren't willing to do because they were scared, because they weren't compulsed, to grow a successful business because they had concerns that were other than building his own personal fortune. You kind of feel like, yeah, I can, I'm capable of making difficult decisions as well. Next category, Corin, half-assed internet research. One is, you know, he really emphasizes in the book for me that, you know, he spent hundred million dollars on <laughs> Partying basically, <laughs> like, partying is like a big theme of this book. Like he emphasizes his relationship with many rock stars, and said he partied like a rock star. But he, you know, you could also dig up around the web that he did some pretty sweet charity stuff too. Like, uh, donated a great number of laptops to children. Also, basically planted an entire forest. He later uh, he became a poet and a gardener. This kind of like uh, adds a cool dynamic to this persona, just wasn't like uh, sort of cutting business deals the whole way to the grave kind of thing.
1: So a couple of things I found in 2013, the British Media Awards presented Mr. Dennis with a Lifetime Achievement Award, citing his uncanny knack for being around at the start of every new trend in publishing. That's pretty telling uh, because a lot of the book is about that. Next
0: category, uh, Corinne is the top quotes from the book.
1: Okay. Ownership shall be half of the law. Doing an outstanding job shall be the other half. That was my favorite. Why is that? Well, we mentioned ownership before. I'd never heard anybody talk quite as deeply about ownership and why it matters. There's an ownership example in the book that I found fascinating Not heard anyone talk about this before. So Felix's top executives at his publishing company basically held a mutiny and threatened that they would walk out if he didn't give them 20% ownership of the company. And he goes through the story, but the short version is he declined. He went into work the next day, they all left, and he just hit the grindstone. He just worked longer hours without them. And it ended up being that a couple of those executives came back, ended up working for him for a long time. But the kicker was that when his company sold, that share would have been worth something around 60 to $80 million. I don't remember the exact number. Even on the low end of that $60 million extra in his pocket for holding strong was pretty interesting.
0: I think it's fair to say that a big theme of this book is partnership is a sinking ship you know, violate this only when you're really, really sure. One of my favorite quotes, I am convinced that fear of failing in the eyes of the world is the single biggest impediment to amassing wealth. I love that like even somebody who has been down the road for a lifetime turns around and says like it all starts in your head. It all starts with your inordinate sense of fear of everything. If you can manage that fear, it's also your greatest weapon because most people around you won't be able to. So I find that to be a very clarifying message and part of why I took pause to challenge myself right after reading the book. The book is essentially one big challenge saying, you're not going to do this because it's too hard. Absolutely. My second quote is very related to my first. So maybe just I'll read this one because it's sort of in line with that. He writes... Not everyone works to get rich. In fact, most people do not. But almost everyone wishes to be respected. With promotion comes respect, and with delegation comes promotion. If your company is young and a bit rickety, I'll raise my hand there, meritocracy, delegation, and promotion are the bricks and mortar that will make it stronger. But I just love this idea that having a great team, and giving them a great deal of respect, treating them like adults, demanding a high level of professionalism from them, that's the bricks and mortar of a business. I think it's so very true. If you feel like your business is falling apart, it's probably because you haven't inspired adults to surround you.
1: And there there are other things that talent respect other than ownership most people don't want to own a company they want to clock out at the end of the day and do the best job they can in their profession but then clock out at the end of the day and go surfing or something a lot of people that's their happy place
0: 100 percent. but even like he's even talking about the people who don't like there's a long discussion about staff who say don't clock out to go surfing and he even talks about like why they don't want to be owners and and why it's much more complicated. So for example, like they are scared of not being paid for five years. A five-year period is a big period in someone's lives and one that many entrepreneurs, they're happy to traverse it for whatever reason because they're crazy people or they see the potential of that ownership. His point is like most people aren't willing to go through that. He talks a lot about starting points in this book. Like basically, if you're young, dumb, and hungry, like you are in a great spot to get rich relative to someone who's successful because they're unwilling to face these things that you're probably going to have to face. And so you can inspire those people too by giving them a great paycheck, a home for their ideas, a respected position that will get the best out of them. They're not willing to do what you might be considering. Give a second quote.
1: I do. If you cannot treat your quest to get rich as a game, you will never be rich. Subtle reminder that it's all just a game. (laughs) And above a certain point, the money doesn't really matter. (laughs) I think that as entrepreneurs, we're maybe too tied to the outcome of something. And we forget, you know, maybe you've got a, a target in mind of, I want to make $100 million. So I want to sell my business for $100 million, But until I get there, I'm not going to be happy. Well, if you if you sell your business for $80 million, are you going to be less happy? If you don't sell the company, if it all falls apart, and you take away some great learnings, that may have taken five to 10 years, like you mentioned, right, to get to that point, and then you're starting from zero. So if you're not having fun along the way, and you don't actually like the process, the chances of actually hitting a certain number is really slim why not have fun with it along the way and then the outcome is the outcome but you've still had fun for those five to ten years Today's
0: episode is brought to you by Pricing.com, a competitor price tracking and dynamic pricing software that helps all sizes of e-commerce companies make fast and effective pricing decisions. We all know that at the moment, it's ultra competitive out there in e-commerce land, and it's making it more difficult to get those fat profit margins. Pricing allows you to monitor your competitors' prices on a single dashboard. This means you can detect each price change and seize every opportunity to improve profitability. You can also set up dynamic pricing rules, allowing you to automatically match or beat any competitor's price without spending a minute thinking about it. As a revenue management software, PriceSync allows online sellers of all sizes to grow fast and profitably with data-driven pricing decisions. If you want to compete with the retail giants without bleeding money, check out PriceSync.com solutions designed to help you thrive on a tiny budget. What's more, they're offering TMBA listeners a huge 50% discount for the first three months. That's an amazing deal. Go check it out at pricing.com. That's P-R-I-S-Y-N-C. And many thanks to Pricing for sponsoring the show. So next category, what has aged the best? This book is not that old of a book. It's over a decade old, of course. Most of the, like, the anecdotes in the book are quite a bit older. What for you has aged the best in How to Get
1: Rich? You touched on it. I think the, the biggest point of this book is that age and time equals wealth. So the younger you are, potentially the the longer you will live. And for him, that was that's more valuable. He said multiple times, or referred to this multiple times, but said once in the book, that he would trade everything he has, all of his money, and all of the future money he would ever make to go back and be young again. Simply because if you have time, you have time to do more things. And that's the one thing you could, you can never buy. Same with Phil Knight, who wrote Shoe Dog, the founder of Nike. There's a spoiler here, so just Skip ahead if this if you've not read Shoe Dog because it's an amazing book. Uh, there's one line at the end of that book. Phil Knight has gone he's clawed through everything to get to the top of the pile. He's got a public company. he's worth about eight billion dollars at this point. And he wrote this note that I just it was my biggest takeaway of that book was he would trade everything to go back in time and go through everything exactly as it happened. Again. And they went through some really tough times in the beginning. But Felix Dennis says this. Phil Knight said this. I'm sure a lot of older entrepreneurs want to just go back and start again. So, wherever we're starting from today, we're actually richer than a lot of these guys because we're potentially younger, right? And even if you're not, just take stock of that, that you're alive, right? You're some alive. of these guys are not, including Felix Dennis.
0: Yeah, the late great Felix Dennis. I love this theme. I do think it's aged well. This wistful nature of someone looking back on the journey, two themes arise. The first is those rose-colored glasses about what so many of us are struggling through, building our first little bit of personal wealth. Inevitably, entrepreneurs who've been on the journey look back to those early days with the sort of warmest... Memories, I think it's because they had a high sense of self esteem about what they were doing. They were taking on a challenge. They were being brave and they admired themselves in retrospect for having done that. Once you get rich, your problems are not as hard, but maybe cause a lot of anxiety, regret, whatever. And then the other bit about this constant theme, he even devotes an entire chapter to the idea of youth being. Humanity's most prized possession, in a way, and it's interesting that he doesn't reflect on it more. He basically says, "I'm not qualified to talk about this because you know I haven't treated myself great my whole life. I spent all my time working, but consider it." And I thought that was like hu- relatively humble and and cool as well. What's aged the best? My first thing is that it's not a guide. I like that because you can't then poke holes in it. He's just telling you his perspective. There's very detailed discussions of like specific stories. So for example, like he does a little deep dive into capital requirements and raising money and team building and negotiating stuff. It feels like you get a seat into the boardroom for some of this stuff, like both anecdotes and principles. I think very few business books do this well. And then how to get rich Felix Dennis nails it. It doesn't get to the point where there's too much detail that you're bored So I thought that really aged well, that this isn't a guide. This is actually like shadowing an entrepreneur for a day. What's the next thing that's aged the best for you?
1: Here's a concept that was pretty fascinating. There's a a running theme in the book of having the option to sell a company, which seems kind of obvious, but he goes a step further and says, even if your business, your project is a failure to you, you should at least try and sell it. Because you don't know what it's going to be worth to the other party. And I'm not saying you're going to get an amazing outcome by doing this, right? But maybe you'd get something for your, your time or maybe another opportunity by at least looking out there and seeing who could acquire the company. That was something that was really impactful to me and is timeless.
0: All right. So now let's put our critique hats on with uh, a couple of reflections on what has aged the worst. To me, it's this. It's actually related to something that's aged the best, which is his conclusion that having extreme wealth leads to more time. In fact, at the beginning of the book, he lays out this scene, which is very evocative. There's yachts bobbing in the harbor. He's sitting in his writer's retreat. He's overlooking turquoise uh, water, you know, this classic kind of digital nomad scene or whatever, except he paints it a few decades earlier, and you're like, uh, it's not actually that expensive to like have a day off and to write poetry. And so it instantly doesn't age well to someone who has location independence. And so I thought that that was a really interesting clash of the generations. And just throughout the book in general, Corin, I think he's just wrong about time so many times and he more or less admits it at one point in the book, he comes forward and says, I was really good at being getting rich in this life, but if I could do it all over again, I would have gotten a little bit rich, which for him is pretty damn rich still, but I would have gotten a little bit rich and then quit at 35, and I would have written poetry and like hung out and done more quality things with my time rather than amassing wealth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This was actually one of mine as well. So I looked up a couple of things just out of curiosity. Apparently, the writer's retreat you mentioned on the island you can actually rent. At the time, this was in 2016, so assume it's more now, but you could rent his villa for $40,000 a week. And that's way less than his uh, level of, I think, was it 50 to 60 million he would want to get by the time he was 35, I think. I think 60 was his number. So yeah, absolutely. And he talks about private jets and, and yachts and all this type of things, he does actually say to rent instead of own anything that flies or floats. So that's interesting. But even the cost, the fractional ownership cost has gone down a ton on things like private jets. There's basically Uber for jets. Um, there's NetJets and things like this. I worked out their base level membership just out of curiosity. It's probably around two to 3000 an hour for the whole jet. And this is mostly if you're doing short hops in the U.S., It's not that expensive to have the access to all of these things. Also, owning all these homes around the world I mentioned earlier, how many of those would you actually want to own right now versus using Airbnb to find amazing villas and things like this? Maybe one personal home if you have a family, maybe two. And then why wouldn't you fractionally own or just rent on demand these other things? But there is another side to this, in my opinion. Yes, I don't think that piece has aged very well, but there's another side to this, and this is what I see with a lot of nomad types and location-independent folks, is you get comfortable at a certain level, and you don't push yourself to go higher. Now, it's not saying that you have to, it's just saying if you're using that as an excuse to not go higher or do more, question that, is it an excuse? So on the on the flip side of this, yes it's cheaper now, but is that just an excuse to not do something big? And big is relative. So your big might be a lot less than his big was. But at least be aware, be cognizant of the fact that you might just be using that as an excuse. Cause time is the thing. Like we've talked about time already, time being the the optimal, the only thing. So if you're using your time to build a business for an exit of say two million, what's the difference of Structuring it in a way following some of this advice and elsewhere where you could maybe go bigger, go public, go to a hundred million. Like there is no limit. That's the best part of entrepreneurship. There's no ceiling and no floor.
0: As you were mentioning that, Corinne, it was almost like another whisper of the book came out now that we're talking about all these concepts and the ideas are flying. He's saying, look, life is really short, so freaking go for it. Like go for it. Stop being scared. Like Nobody cares. The only person that cares is you. And if you don't go for your dreams, you're going to lose self-esteem. You're going to lose a sense of wonder, a sense of fun and gamesmanship. That's the worst outcome is that you can kind of sit on your dreams and not explore them. I think that's another thing this book whispers. That leads me to you know the next thing that has aged the worst, which is He doesn't acknowledge at all the special circumstances created by the web. And I actually think that's why this is such a fun read, because you as a reader bring so much to the table. How to Get Rich comes out and says, You need to spend your whole life getting a crap ton of money or half of it so that you can buy the rest of your life back. Four Hour Work Week comes out and says, All you need to do is do a dream line and build a clever online business and you'll already be rich. The truth is really somewhere in the middle. The truth is that you ought to be clever and deliberate about how you want to spend your time in regards to business. But the reality of, of how to get rich is that you need to be a competent, hardworking, in some cases, ruthless entrepreneur to see your dreams come to reality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The mixture of both might be interesting. I mean, there's a whole criteria basically of what makes a good business. And the the quote at the top, also from the New York New York Times, was it where uh, he was at the front of every trend? That was on purpose, right? It's not like he just <laughs> magically appeared in PC <laughs> magazines or whatever. So if you use the four-hour workweek principles to create a, a leveraged automated business, but bolt that onto a growing trend, I did this by mistake, mind you, <laughs> with my business because Amazon grew such at a rapid rate, right? So you could leverage both and then have that infinite upside but also enjoying the freedom to live where you want to use location arbitrage and uh, geo arbitrage with being more profitable etc there's there's a lot of things you could do to enjoy your life now still having a little bit of that edge to have a shot at creating something really big
0: anything else you want to mention and what's age the worst
1: He was a little bit off on Apple, (laughs) just as a a side. He didn't really love Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs management style, I guess you would say. And he thought that would be the ruin of Apple, but maybe that one wasn't quite true. Or maybe Steve read it and he adjusted his ways. I don't know.
0: (laughs) What Felix was really trying to communicate is that uh, I loved your take on this book that he's just taking every objection. You even mentioned timing and luck. He has a whole chapter about you don't need timing and luck. It's like, or here's how to deal with that objection. One of the key objections, you know, is I don't have a good enough idea. And this is why he brings up the Apple story. And he says, look, look at this guy. He's all about ideas and it, it, it hurts him most of the time. Felix Dennis is very much of the belief that you don't need, like that good ideas are everywhere. It's the people willing to execute them that are rare. And that's one of the key theses of the book. All right, moving on to the next category is nitpicks. Any uh, small nitpicks with your experience reading the book? Things maybe you'd, you'd change in a future edit of the book.
1: Do you want to go first?
0: Sure. It's a cool story of inspiration. You know, here's a gentleman who, who didn't need to write this book, but it was a cool contribution. I personally think a very cool contribution to society. You know, sat down for a couple months, and banged out this this book that's a lot of fun, it's inspiring to read. I think you know this Playboy image and trappings of wealth like the Rolls Royces and the all this kind of stuff it's fun, you know, but not super relatable. I doubt that like a lot of contemporaries would like they aspire to wealth for quite those reasons, so it's a little bit dated, like this kind of Hugh Hefner kind of character, but it's cool, like it's fun to read about that kind of stuff. The other thing is, uh, I think he overstates his rags to riches story a little bit. I mean, he did have some, obviously, challenges in his uh, youth. But as far as we can tell from our research, like many of the wealth stories, that that we uh, review on this podcast, uh, had a pretty good start. You know, went to a good school, lived in a good neighborhood. Those things tend to correlate highly with the ability to pursue a trajectory to wealth.
1: I'm not sure if this is a nitpick or if it's something that I just observed. Apparently, Felix Dennis smoked cigarettes for 50 years, right? And that, that was his choice, that's fine. He did die of throat cancer, unfortunately, in the end. He references cigarettes and drinking quite a bit. And there was one section where he said, "We basically, we know we shouldn't smoke, but we do. Or, of course, you should look after yourself. And he was kind of having this conversation with himself, maybe trying to convince himself to get healthier and to look after himself. But maybe that was who he was. So the the flip side of the coin that made him fabulously wealthy was in some area of of his life, he just couldn't help himself but be the playboy up until the end. He just, he kind of couldn't detach from that. That was just the section that... I observed and wish he could have taken some of his own advice. Maybe that's because I wish I could take my own advice. <laughs> so maybe it's, maybe it's more of a personal thing.
0: Well, he does talk about how so much of this is a compulsion, you know, and that we get obsessed with these things. And for him, it was amassing wealth. That's why I think, you know, this book really does present an extreme example and then calls out for a middle way a way that you can go after your dreams boldly and make difficult decisions and work very hard for the things that you desire in life but also to keep in mind that it isn't everything. So yeah, that was a an interesting moment, you know, especially with the hindsight of knowing that that he's he's dead, you know, maybe he would still be here had he made different decisions. It's certainly an interesting dynamic to the book as you read it in 2021.
1: Yeah, so maybe that's the nitpick I was going for is that the promise of this book is so strong that you think he's almost superhuman, right? (laughs) Like this guy's got it all together, but he didn't. (laughs) And he actually references that a few times. I can just help you get rich, find someone else to help you with the other things. So yeah, that was (laughs) kind of cool.
0: All right, just two more categories to go, Corin. The idea that you'll most likely remember in 20 years and has the potential to impact like your life or other people's lives in the future. Here's a, I think, an enduring idea. And what ultimately feels so empowering about this book for me is that so very little of what occupies the average person's brain on a day-to-day basis is the generation of wealth. Even those things which often pose as strategies or ideas about generating wealth, they're actually just lame substitutions and excuses. You feel like you're kind of an insider after having read the book because, hey, I really care about this and no other people don't care about it. You know, no one believes in me. I believe in me. There's kind of that, but there's also this other side of that, which is this lonely compulsion after, you know, going after and gathering it. Honestly, that's changing a little bit too with internet culture. Some of the things that, you know, we can freely state with podcast listeners here like that we desire to to build more wealth and we think we can help others do it at the same time that it's not a zero-sum game. If you say those sorts of things like in, in general population, it can be alienating, you know? And so I think that this idea that if you care about this stuff and you put strong focus on it and you work towards these ends, you are in a very rare class of people. I think that that's true. I think it's empowering. And I think that that's part of why How to Get Rich is such a motivating book.
1: Yeah. So, one section for me, I'm surprised this hasn't come up already, is his concept of human capital. And human capital is the most important thing. Specifically, how he defines human capital is really interesting to me. So, he includes in this definition clients, employees, and suppliers, and warns to choose wisely. I've not really heard anyone talk about this in this way before. It's definitely about staff. You need rockstar staff to build your empire, etc. But the thought of clients and suppliers as well being in that same equation, um, obviously with his business and publishing, supply chain was huge. So that depends on on your business model, but I thought that was quite interesting and then also clients, if you have clients in your business, how to think about those people and ruthlessly cut out people that aren't good in your company, in your supply chain, and also your customers, oftentimes, especially when you're getting started, you know everyone just takes on as many clients as they can and just to hell with it, we'll figure it out. but you know defining that is really what's going to make maybe even make your team stay. But having it defined like that was really quite eye-opening to me.
0: You know, what's interesting about your analysis here is like with a lot of these rereadables episodes, we're talking about business books, the classic business book that's like one big idea, and then you kind of bang on about the, the good idea the whole time. One of the theses of this book is that you don't need good ideas, you need great execution. And a lot of what the content in this book is, and I'm I'm holding it right now, let me just flip it. It's, you know, close to 300 pages long. And a lot of the content is about the execution of these strategies. So he brings up this idea of human capital, but then he'll give you instances of how to execute that. I was thinking like, well, how do we bring the podcast listener, like all these ideas? Well, the reality is it would be like a three, four hour podcast, because there is a lot of depth and nuance to the book. It's something I just want to flag up, if it's not clear already, that, if you find this idea of human capital interesting, you won't be disappointed cracking open this book and reading more in depth about what he's on about there. So finally, would this book work better in a different format, Uh Netflix series, blog post? I'm tempted to say, you know, it would be great to hear Felix Dennis read it or do a multi-part podcast series. That said, I've seen him do some public speaking and wasn't a great self-editor, so must have had a strong team around the creation of this book. With that in mind, what I've seen of Felix Dennis's public appearances, I, I think the, the paperback book is a, quite appropriate, uh, and I'd stick with the current format.
1: I would have loved to hear him read it. I looked up for the audio audible version and unfortunately he didn't narrate it which is impossible now but the way he speaks i I get you on the um kind of ramblings but if we could have just had him read it with his tones with his persona behind the words i think it would have just been phenomenal to just hear it direct from him because he had quite the voice and was a super animated character
0: any parting shots i've read this book three times now I personally think that this is, you know, in the canon for lifestyle business, location independent entrepreneurs. If I'm writing a blog post tomorrow about like how to build a lifestyle business, like this is going to be one of the top 10, if not five books that you should read. Because I think its contribution is that, hey, just because we're making dreamlines and just because we're using geo arbitrage, we're still doing business. And a lot of what being an entrepreneur is about is not building passive assets on the web, but about understanding the key element that psychology and entrepreneurial skill plays. And frankly, what we call it nowadays is the hustle. This book is motivating to encourage you to look that direction for opportunities and for uh, those things that are holding you back in your entrepreneurial journey. Therefore, for me, How to Get Rich has earned its place in the canon.
1: Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to think about it because it's quite polarizing. If you let your fear of going big hold you back, you may stop or not even read this book given who wrote it. You may think, oh, I don't want to get to 800 million in net worth. I'm good. I'm going to stick with my four-hour work week. I think that would be a mistake. And as an entrepreneur, you You need to pull ideas and concepts from many different sources to get where you're wanting to go. Like you said, it should be part of the the canon. It's not the whole thing, not burn every other book and just follow (laughs) Felix to the the end (laughs) with a cigarette in one hand and wine bottle in the other.
0: (laughs) Well, Corin, thanks for joining us this week. Let us know where people can find you.
1: Yeah, um, the best way is thefbabroker.com. That's where we put out all of our good stuff. I don't really do the socials, so uh, yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Very cool.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.